0: All right. seven and a half years ago, in August of 2009, uh, four young guys sat down with the elders of Grace Reformed Baptist Church to cast a vision for church planning. Uh, I was among that group, as was uh, our brother Brad Kennison, and uh, at that time we had no notion that we would plan a church in Winston-Salem. We didn't know most of you at that time, and uh, those of you that we did know... Uh, We had no idea in those days that you would be considering planting uh, this church with us. Uh, We just knew we wanted to serve the Lord. We knew we wanted to plant a church. And we knew uh, we wanted Grace Reformed in Mevan to plant us. So fast forward seven years to September of 2016. Uh, At that time, we were decided on planting a church in Winston-Salem. And uh, by that point, we had met many of you. We're just meeting uh, some of you. And we decided then, in September of 2016, to engage uh, in, in about four to five months of small group Bible studies, sort of exploratory meetings, to seek indications that God himself was affirming the vision of church planting here in Winston-Salem. And it's uh, our conclusion, we believe that God greatly blessed those meetings, uh, wonderfully blessed those meetings, and has affirmed the desire to see a church planted in Winston-Salem. Uh, so fast forward to Now. Uh, Late January 2017, it became our desire to sort of graduate our efforts in seeing a church planted here in Winston-Salem and gathering uh, on Sunday nights now for worship. Uh, It was our conviction and the conviction of our sending church that we would have to spend some time worshiping God together and know something of a sense of His Spirit's presence before we could legitimately uh, constitute and launch as a church together. And so in these months as we come together, the main goal is just to worship God as a group of His people, as a group of disciples. We want to worship Him. We want to pray to Him. We want to sing to Him. Uh, we want to sit under God's Word and to have it preached. And the hope is that in this time, uh, we'll, we'll see more of that affirmation from the Lord uh, that He is calling us to plant a church here in Winston-Salem. And that we'll know something of His presence among His people uh, in these meetings. Uh, so, fast forward to this moment. Now as we come to the first sermon... Of Emmanuel Church of winston salem i 've given considerable thought to what ought to be the, the subject matter of these sermons while we 're here at Northwest Baptist Church and meeting on these uh, sunday nights and It is my aim over the next three to four months to preach uh, a couple of, of short sermon series and maybe a couple of one off messages. We hope also to have Pastor Gary Hendricks from uh, the church in Mebane. he 's coming to preach down here God willing on march fifth he 's going to preach for us and bring a message that night, and hopefully we'll also have Robert Fisher, who some of you have met, another pastor in Grace and in Mebane, and he's hopefully going to come down and preach for us as well. That's sort of our agenda. Uh, for tonight, I'd like to start a five-week sermon series. This will run through the end of February, God willing, a five-week sermon series uh, on what I'm calling the purposes of the church, the purposes of the church And the outline for this short five-week series is actually taken from our proposed church constitution, which many of you had. That went out over email. Some of you have physical copies of that constitution. I have some copies here for anyone who didn't bring any tonight, so we can pass those around and look at those documents again. Uh, But our outline for this series actually comes from, I think it's even on the first page of the constitution, uh, from Article 1, Section 1, Paragraph 2. And I'm going to quote from that right now. There's no reason for you to follow along as I read. I'm just going to quote Uh, from our church constitution. The purpose of Emanuel Church of Winston-Salem is to be and do everything Christ in the scriptures wills for a local church. Our purpose can be further understood as consisting of five main components. Now these five main components will form the outline uh, for the next five weeks of preaching uh, here at Emanuel Church. The first is the promotion of the public worship of God. Number two, the proclamation of the gospel. Number three, the edification of the saints. Number four, the mutual fellowship and communion of believers. And number five, the display of the character of God through good works. So tonight, for this first message here at Emanuel Church, I would like to preach to you about worship, that first distinguishing purpose or aim of the local church, and that is the promotion of the worship of God. Some of you uh, may be familiar with the Westminster Shorter Catechism. You may have heard of that. Uh, The Westminster Shorter Catechism is a historic document from the 17th century. Uh, It was a a distillation of uh, the Westminster Confession. And it was a catechism used for adults and for children uh, to sort of educate them in basic theology and a basic understanding of the Bible. Well, if you've heard of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, you've probably heard of the first question and answer, which are are somewhat famous uh, in Christian circles. The first question to the Westminster Shorter Catechism reads, what is the chief end of man? End meaning uh, uh, goal or aim or, or purpose. What is the chief end of man? And then the answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You kids who are here, it would be good for you guys to learn uh, that first question of the catechism. And, and maybe to ask yourself, now why would that be the first question in the catechism? You moms and dads here, maybe uh, this week, you could rehearse that first catechism question with your kids. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Well, in that answer, there are, there are two goals to man's life. To men and women's lives. Uh, the glory of God... And the enjoyment of Him. And uh, the Bible teaches that those two great goals, the glory of God and the enjoyment of Him, are not actually at odds. God's glory and man's happiness uh, are actually one and the same goal. Because the greatest happiness of mankind is to be satisfied with the glory of God. Uh, Now we see through a glass, but dimly. uh, We come as disciples of Jesus Christ who in some sense are satisfied in the Lord Jesus, satisfied in our God. But then in glory, in paradise, face to face, uh, we will see Him. And we will uh, experience something of those pleasures that are at His right hand forevermore. Uh, To to enjoy God, to experience sincere and real joy in your heart as a believer and in His presence as God is the greatest joy you could experience. It's greater than any of the, the passing joys of this age. To be satisfied in God Himself, who is the source of all joy is the greatest joy any one of us can achieve. Maybe you know that famous statement from John Piper that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. That's true. God receives glory when men and women like us, redeemed sinners like us, uh, 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 take our our satisfaction and our delight away from the passing pleasures of this world and rest them soundly in God Himself. And y'all, now that's hard while we're stuck in these sinful bodies and while we're fighting our remaining sin, but when we are in paradise face to face with the Lord Jesus, uh, we will not count it any sacrifice to give up the passing joys and delights of this world. God's glory and man's joy come together in the Christian message. That's the, the first question to the catechism. There's a sense of priority there that all of our lives are to be about the glory of God and the enjoyment of Him. Another way we can put it, and this is how it's popularly put today, That for the Christian, uh, worship is all of life. For the Christian, worship is all of life, or all of life is worship. Now there's a number of texts I could go to in Scripture uh, uh, to demonstrate that point. We're just going to go to two. So if you would, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to show you from Scripture that for the believer, for those who are in Christ all of life is to be about worship. It's not just about gathering and church services and singing to God and praying to Him and sitting under His Word, but that every aspect of our lives ought to be about worship. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and it's a verse that's maybe well known to many of you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. Follow along as I read. So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31, uh, sometimes in Christian circles, can become something like a Christian cliche. Just kind of rattle it off. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And we, we might not think thoughtfully about that verse. But 1 Corinthians 10.31 is really a glorious verse. And, 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 and the wonder of this text, I hope, is not lost on us. What I love about 1 Corinthians 10.31 is that it fuels even the mundane tasks of our lives with the glory of God. Think about that. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, to all to the glory of God. That means, brothers and sisters, that whatever we do, Any mundane activities of our lives, whether that's uh, getting up in the morning and having some coffee and a a couple uh, of fried eggs and toast, best breakfast in the world. Uh, Whether it's jogging and exercising, whether it's doing your taxes this time of year. Whatever tasks that you have to do, you can do those tasks for the glory of God. Amen. I mean, you can, you, can, you can jog to God's glory. You can do your morning commute to God's glory. You can parent your kids to God's glory. You can center your marriage around the glory of God. You don't just have to worship God when you come to church. But every aspect and facet of your life can center on the glory of God. What a wonderful text. I mean, just, just even the mundane things that I do on a day-to-day basis can be fueled with the glory of God. And in doing mundane things... I could be giving glory to my Father who is in heaven. That's, that's a wonderful truth. And this illustrates for us this reality that worship is all of life. Everything we do can be an act of worship to God's glory. Now there's one thing I want you to notice in the text. And that is that 1 Corinthians 10.31 is not descriptive. It's prescriptive. Now what do I mean by that? 1 Corinthians 10.31 does not say everything that Christians do is to the glory of God. Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do, you see to it that you do it to the glory of God. Mm -hmm. Which means uh, you can parent your kids in a way that's dishonorable to the Lord. You can uh, 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 do your taxes in a way that doesn't bring glory to God. Uh, You can can make your breakfast in a way that doesn't give glory to God. But you, brothers and sisters, we are to see to it that the, the things we do from day to day are an act of worship. And how we do that and, and what that looks like, that's, that's really the subject matter for another sermon. But I just want to illustrate with this text that all of life for the Christian is to be about worship. Now one more text I'll have you turn to, and that's Romans 12, to illustrate this point that worship is all of life. Romans chapter 12. I want to read verses 1 through 2. Before I do, a little bit of background. Hopefully you're familiar in the Old Testament. One of the elements of worship was to offer sacrifices to the Lord. That happened in corporate worship. That also happened on an individual basis, that language of offering up sacrifices. We have that language here in Romans 12, 1-2. Follow along as I read. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The language, especially in verse one, is striking, isn't it? That, 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 that we, brothers and sisters, followers of the Lord Jesus, we're supposed to present think of like a, 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 <coughs> a, a soldier presenting himself to his officer, and he's got his, his uh, uniform all in order, and he's standing out of tent. you to present yourself. We're to present ourselves to God. Our bodies are to be presented to to God as living sacrifices. Which means, everything we do ought to be worshipped to God. Our bodies, we present ourselves, all that we are, our minds, our hearts, our hands, our feet, we present them to the Lord, and they are to Him like a sacrifice. They are to Him spiritual worship. This again just illustrates everything we are, everything we do, Everything we seek, everything we think ought to be to the praise and honor, worship and glory of God. All of life for the Christian is worship. Worship is all of life for the believer. But is there more to this story? Uh, What what I want to ask is um, is there a difference? Uh, between jogging to the glory of God, between filing your taxes to the glory of God, between parenting your kids to the glory of God, even even reading the scriptures in, in your, your bedroom uh, on a weekday morning as part of your quiet time, or memorizing, is there a difference between those things that you do individually, privately, is there a difference between that and what we're doing here, what we sometimes call corporate worship or, or gathered worship, that's the term, the term I prefer, is there a difference before God between worship is all of life, the thing I can do on my morning commute when I'm singing songs to the Lord or, or trying to renew my mind by his grace? Is there a so the difference between that and what we do as believers when we gather together to worship God? I wonder if we one by one what you would, you would answer to that question. The Bible's answer is an emphatic yes. There is a difference. There is a difference. There's a difference between the worship we do here as a group of of, of the Lord Jesus' disciples gathered together to worship Him as the church. There's a difference between that and what we do individually as all of life. That's not to denigrate the things we do privately, but there is a difference between what we do here as the gathered church, and that really is what I want to preach on today. As the church, one of the purposes is to worship God in a special way. So I'm calling this sermon, the thing I want to convey to each one of you here today, Uh, This The peculiar glory of gathered worship. The peculiar glory of gathered worship. Some of you know John Piper came out with a book called A Peculiar Glory. He writes in that book about the peculiar glory of the Word of God. When we look at it, there's a peculiar glory there. Well, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm co-opting his phrase and applying it to gathered worship. The peculiar glory of gathered worship. I want to argue on the basis of Scripture that God makes himself known to his people in utterly unique and special ways in the context of gathered worship, when God's people come together as a congregation. This is the peculiar glory of gathered worship, that when God's people gather together, He's there in a special way. He reveals Himself to His people in a special way, in an utterly unique way, in the context of the gathered worship of God's people. So here's how I want to go about this. I want to show you this this theme that runs through the Bible of corporate worship, of gathered worship, of God making himself known in those contexts. Uh, I'll have you turn to maybe four or five texts. I hope uh, uh, that that doesn't wear you out a little bit. But let me ask first that we turn to Exodus 15. We just want to trace a, a theme through the Bible of God meeting with his people when they gather together in a special way. I could go earlier than Exodus 15 to to demonstrate this point from Scripture, but for the sake of time, we'll start in Exodus 15. We're going to look at verse 13 of Exodus chapter 15. Now, the the background to this, maybe some of you know, God's people had been captive in Egypt. God called them out of the land of Egypt. He used his servant Moses, and some of you know the dramatic scenes that took place there in the land of Egypt. And God brought his people out of bondage, out of slavery in Egypt, And then they wandered in the wilderness and eventually uh, inherited the promised land. Now in Exodus 15, Moses is leading God's people in a song of thanksgiving. uh, Because they've just been delivered. And I want to point out verse 13 and then we'll scroll down to verse 17. Verse 13 of Exodus 15. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. Look down at verse 17. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. Let me ask this, were the Israelites in the land of Egypt as slaves able to worship God? In one sense, yes. There's nothing keeping them. I mean, doesn't God say to Moses, I have heard the cries of my people, Israel, and that's when he sends them to... They could worship God, but only in a limited sense. One of the glories of being brought out of the land of Egypt was that now they could go to the place, to the location, to the sanctuary, to the holy abode of the Lord, and there they could worship him aright and know something of his special presence in that context. Some of you know how this goes. God instructs the people of Israel to set up the tabernacle, or what's also called the tent of meeting, It was this special structure where God's people were to gather. And God made his presence known to them there in special ways. Moses could worship God privately in his little tent by himself. But in a special way, God was present in the tabernacle. That was his sanctuary. That was his holy abode. In fact, some of you know the imagery of the cloud that would come over the tabernacle. Exodus 40 verse 34 says this, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting... And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord, in some sense, was there when Moses was at breakfast praying to the Lord. But in a special way, his glory filled the tabernacle when God's people gathered to meet in a corporate context. Well, when God established the monarchy in Israel, when he established David as king, uh, God's Uh, Center for worship was moved to Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant was reclaimed. And and Zion, the city of God, Jerusalem, was then the location, the venue uh, for worship. Please turn to Psalm chapter 48. All throughout the Psalms, we see references to Zion and God dwelling in in the city of God uh, there in Jerusalem. God's special presence was identified with Jerusalem. Let's read Psalm 48, verses 1 through 3. And listen to the language here about God's sanctuary, God's special abode. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, His holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Listen to verse 3. Within her citadels, God has made Himself known as a fortress. In Israel, there was a physical place. It was in Jerusalem, where God in a special way made himself known to his people. Listen as I read Psalm 65, verse 4. Blessed is the one you choose to bring near, to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. It was the, 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 the tent of meeting, the temple construct, the city of God. That's where God met with his people in a special way. And so you'll, you'll hear David and the other psalmists talk about wanting to be in the, the courts of the Lord. They want to enter his gates with praise. Well, 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 they don't just mean that spiritually. They mean physically. They were going to go down to worship with the people of God. And there was all this enthusiasm and expectation because they knew God met with his people there. Psalm 100, which I think many of you might be familiar with, 1 verse through 4 You don't have to turn there. Just listen as I read. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Listen to this. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and bless His name. The sense in which the presence of God was everywhere, that it covered the earth... And yet the Israelites had this sense, we come into the presence of God when we gather for corporate worship in the temple. Please turn to Psalm 84, the text that we read as a call to worship, that Brad read read for us. Psalm 84 captures something of the disposition of God's people as they approached gathered worship. What was in their minds? What were they thinking when they were going up to the mountain to worship God there in Jerusalem? Listen to this description, Psalm 84, verses 1-5. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. I wonder how many of you woke up this morning, I just long, I faint for church. That's where I want to be. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself. For she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. God's people were filled with expectation, anticipation for what God would do for them in the context of gathered worship, when they would gather with God's people there in the temple. A similar verse, Psalm 63, verses 1 through 2, you don't need to turn there. O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon your sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Now I submit to you that what the psalmist is talking about there is not how beautiful the architecture was. Look how glorious and and how powerful God is. Look Look at this building right here. No, it was when the psalmist entered into the worship of God with God's people, he saw something of the power and glory of God. Something of God's presence. Something of God's nearness was in the context of gathered worship. This is sort of what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 2. He talks about the demonstration of spirit and power in the midst of God's people. This is what David wanted when he entered corporate worship. He wanted to behold the power and glory of God in a special way. God's people had a certain expectation that God was going to do things for them in the context of corporate worship. Well, we don't have time, we could turn to Psalm 73 where there's an account of Asaph. He's having a bad day, having a hard time. He's depressed and he's discouraged. And then he talks about, but then I went down to the house of the Lord. And God revealed Himself to Asaph and was near to Asaph. And his mood changed quick in the context of gathered worship. I encourage you this week, go and read Psalm 73 and think about what it says about corporate worship. Well, what about when we turn over to the New Testament? We've been tracing this theme of God's presence being revealed in gathered worship and corporate worship. What about when we get to the New Testament? Please turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is a, a pivotal verse. Many things Jesus said to signal that there was going to be a change that takes place in the way that worship happens in the new covenant. There's no statement more concise and definitive, I think, than John chapter 4 on this front, verses 23 through 24. The context, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and Samaritans and Jews had a disagreement about where God should be worshipped, and uh, uh, is it this mountain or is it that mountain? And listen to what Jesus says to this woman. John 4, verse 23, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, he's saying I, I think you're mistaken. It's not going to be about a physical location anymore, it's not about the temple. But the tabernacle before it, it's not about a particular mountain where God's presence is in a special way. Rather, God's worshipers in the New Testament will worship him in spirit and in truth. And God is seeking such worshipers to worship him in spirit and in truth. What's different about gathered worship in the New Testament? Well, it's not the value of God's presence. It's not his glory and his power. The people in the Old Testament, those who gathered for worship in the temple, experienced God's presence, His nearness, His glory, and His power. The difference is that now God's presence isn't identified with a physical location, but rather it's identified with God's people wherever they meet for the express purpose of worshiping Him. In the Old Testament, the venue for corporate worship, for gathered worship, was the tabernacle and later the temple. In the New Testament the venue for corporate worship is the gathered church. I'll say that again. In the Old Testament, the venue for gathered worship was the tabernacle and later the temple. In the New Testament, and that's now, the venue for gathered worship is wherever God's people gather to worship Him. It's the gathered church. 1 Corinthians 3, 16-17 says this, Do you not know that you, you plural, are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Did he mean that each of us individually is God's temple? In another place, he says, uh, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's true. In some sense, that is true. But he's talking to a gathered church here in Corinth. It's a plural uh, pronoun here. He's saying, you, don't you know, you church that gather here, you're the temple of God. And you could imagine in Corinth, a number of Jews in that church are looking around like, what in the world are you talking about? What in the world? There's no, we know what the temple structure looks like. We know where that, is. we're not the, this isn't the temple. We're meeting here in a house. We're meeting here in an upstairs room at a, at a church in northwest Winston-Salem. This is not the temple. But what Paul is saying is that in a profound and mysterious sense, God's people, when they gather, when his disciples gather together, We really are the temple of God. That means God's presence is here. That means God meets with his people, the church, when they gather together. The church is not a building. We're not a room here in northwest Winston-Salem. We are the church if we gather together as the church to worship God. And the profound reality is we become the temple where God's spirit dwells in a special place where God's power and His glory are made known in an utterly unique and special way. Please turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Two more texts I'll have you turn to, and then we'll conclude. Ephesians chapter 2. I'd like to read verses 19 through 22 of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Brothers and sisters here, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you, if the Lord is pleased to make us into a church when we gather together, He is making us, building us up together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Could there be a more awesome reality that when God's people come together, when they gather together for corporate worship, God is there. And they're in a way that is utterly unique, utterly special. And God chooses in the context of the gathering of his people to reveal himself in special ways. I told you I'd have you turn to one more text, but you don't, you don't need to turn there. Just listen as I read 1 Peter chapter 2, 4 through 5. As you come to him, this is individual believers coming together for corporate worship. As you come to him a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. Did you think when you came here to worship today, or wherever you worship this morning, that you came as a living stone, what is that imagery? The idea is that in a spiritual sense, you're a rock. I don't mean to insult you. You're a stone. And then as we come into this place, one stone walked in after another. And when the Clarks got here, we completed the whole building, okay? <laughs> but the stones came together, and there was a structure being built. There was a temple being built. And God was getting ready to occupy our meeting. When living stones come together, we form a temple, a dwelling place for God himself. What a profound, mysterious, wonderful reality that God would choose to send His presence by His Spirit in the midst of redeemed sinners like us come to worship Him. You know what Matthew 18.20 says, For where two or three are gathered together in My name, there am I among them. So what is the peculiar glory of gathered worship? It is God's special presence, His unique presence that comes in special ways when God's people gather together to worship Him. And God is pleased, brothers and sisters, to do things for us when we gather together in corporate worship. It's one of the things that at Grace and Mevin some of us gather before the service to pray for the service. And I remember one of our pastors in particular, he prays this all the time, Lord, come into our midst and do things for us here today. One of the prayers recently was we... Lord, we would not insult you with low expectations for what you can do in the context of gathered worship. Y'all, we should treasure gathered worship. When we come together, God does things for his people. Four encouragements I want to leave you with. and Then I'll close our time. Four encouragements to believers in Christ. Number one, treasure the gathered worship of God's people. Treasure the gathered worship of God's people. So many people nowadays, so many professing Christians don't value or treasure God's worship. There's a lot of things they'd rather be doing, if they're honest. And their, their attendance, whether they're there or not, it's really a matter of indifference. And God's people ought to treasure mm-hmm. the gathered worship. You parents, your kids ought to know mommy and daddy treasure. When God's people come together to meet for worship, they treasure that time. I have such fond memories of uh, sitting next to my dad and holding his hand in corporate worship and looking up to him. My dad's this Italian guy, can't sing on tune to save his life. And man, he sung out to the Lord. And I knew my dad treasured being with God's people and worshiping God in that environment. It was such a, to, to this day, I look back on that. It's so precious and special. Brothers and sisters, we ought to treasure the gathered worship of God's people. Number two, let me encourage you, whether it's one day at this Church, somewhere else, commit that you will be present when the church gathers for worship. That you will be present when the church gathers for worship. If we're living stones, uh, we come together to build the household of God and God is there in a special way, commit that you'll be there. Uh, we, we, we ought to discipline ourselves. Sometimes we're going to be tired. Sometimes we're not going to feel in the right frame of mind. Sometimes maybe we had a bad week and we're not really proud of our sinful record. We think, I can't go down to the house of worship. I'm a mess. That's exactly when you need to be there. You need to be near to God. You need to be in his presence. I love, it was over Christmas break, uh, I was texting with Ben Allen. He had been away for a couple weeks in Wisconsin with his family. And uh, I, think, I think that might have been Christmas, actually. And so a lot of folks were planning on not coming to church, I think. And I remember he sent me this text. It'll be good to be with God's people. It'll be good to be with God's people. When we gather together on the Lord's Day to worship God. Brothers and sisters, let's commit that we will be there when we gather to worship God together. I remember one of my uh, pastors, he wasn't really feeling well. He has actually chronic bad health. And I knew he was having a really, really bad week, just feeling kind of down and sick. And uh, he, he showed up. To the evening service. He was not there in the morning. He showed up for the evening service. We we're having the Lord's Supper that night. And I said, I said, I didn't expect to see you here. I knew you weren't feeling well. He said, Alex, I needed the means of grace tonight. I needed to worship God. I needed to have something of his nearness and his presence. I needed to experience that. And so I came. I mustered myself and I came. What a wonderful testimony that is. Number three, come to gathered worship. Come to gathered worship with expectation. Mm-hmm. Come to gathered worship with expectation. Uh, like like my pastor prayed, we would not insult you, God, with low expectations of what you can do in the context of gathered worship. Listen, God has been pleased to do wonderful things when his people come together to worship God. He's changed hearts, he's converted sinners, he's renewed minds. He's brought people out of places of depression and heartache and sadness and brought them to a place of joy in the Lord. God does things for his people when we gather together. So I encourage you, brothers and sisters, as we meet over these months, come with expectation. As we gather as the people of God, he will meet with us and do things for us when we gather. Number four, for each individual believer here, pursue the presence of Christ in the midst of gathered worship. Pursue the presence of Christ, in the midst of gathered worship. feel you've been far off from Christ? You feel guilty? You feel ashamed of things in your past? Even as recent as this past week? Go to Christ. And do it with your brothers and sisters. Do it in song. Do it in prayer. Do it when we come before God's Word to submit ourselves to it and hear what He has to say to us. Come and pursue the presence of the Lord Jesus. Because He says, y'all, He says... When two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there. Mm. Now why would you want to stay away from the presence of the Lord Jesus? Mm. For two or three are gathered together, I am there. And so pursue the presence of the Lord Christ in the context of gathered worship. A last word to those here. I'm, I'm calling this those here who don't like church. Those here, I could say who are not believers because Christians often like church. A word to those here who don't like church. I don't expect you to understand or appreciate the glory of gathered worship. I don't, I don't expect that of you. If you're not a believer in Christ, you haven't had your heart changed, you haven't had your spiritual blindness taken away, you haven't converted, experienced a new birth. I don't expect you to understand uh, the peculiar glory of what we're doing when we gather together as God's people. But I want you to know exactly what we're doing, what we believe we're doing when we gather together as a church. We gather together as a group of God's people, not only because we want to obey Him, but we gather together because we love Him and because we want to be close to Him. Amen. When God's people come together, we're coming, we want to be near to the Lord Jesus. Amen. Y'all, that's why we do this. For those here who don't like church, don't understand what this is all about, we're meeting in this kind of old-fashioned room, we're singing songs out of tune, not an impressive performance up here, no lights, smoke machines, all that stuff. Okay, it's, it's, it's not a, a hyped experience, okay, being here on the second floor of Northwest Baptist Church on a Sunday night. But we come here as God's people because we believe He meets with us. And we want you to understand that. We love Him and want to be close to Him. That's why we've rallied ourselves to come here on a Sunday night. We want to something in the presence of God. And we believe, for those of us here who know the Lord Jesus, that He does meet with us. And the wonderful thing for Christians is that all of this is just a foretaste of what's to come. Right now we're striving and we're praying and we're singing and we're playing songs on out-of-tune guitars. You have a a preacher who loses his train of thought and doesn't speak too well. But there's coming a day and we're going to gather around the throne of the Lord Jesus in paradise. We'll see him face to face with glorified bodies. And this mortality will put on immortality. This corruption will put on incorruption and we'll worship God in sinless perfection in paradise. And y'all, if you don't know the Lord, we want you to be there with us. Mm -hmm. We want you to be in the presence of God in paradise, worshiping Him. And so my prayer is that in the preaching of this sermon, you would see that. You were made to worship God, and you know it. Your chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And I just ask, what are you waiting for? I don't want to be irreverent, but, but join the party come and become a worshiper of God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, it is a humbling thing to be here tonight as a group. We're not an impressive group. We're small. Um, we, we don't necessarily have big plans. and We don't have a lot of money. And um, None of us are are among the social elite in the world. Uh, We're not by any means an impressive group of people. And yet, Father, as those who have been changed, as those who have been saved and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, the blood of the Lord Jesus, you are pleased by your Spirit to come and to be in our midst. We thank you for such a high privilege, we thank you for the joy of worshiping you and bringing praise to your name. And Lord, all we can do is present our bodies as living sacrifices. We could present our hearts to you in worship and give you all that we are. But that is, that is only a small token of the glory and worship that you are due. But Father, we pray that you would enable each one of us to worship you in spirit and truth and to give our lives as living sacrifices to you. And would you be pleased with our worship, despite our sin, despite our failure, despite our weakness, would, may our worship be like a sweet aroma in your nostrils. May you be pleased with our worship. However long we as a group meet, whether we meet for three months and then for some reason have to disband, or whether we meet for generations, we pray that in Emmanuel Church, this will be a place where God is faithfully and, and spiritually and truthfully worshiped. Uh, for generations to come. Would you be pleased to make us into the temple, make us into the church, make us into the place, the venue, where your special presence comes and inhabits us and uh, where you reveal yourself to us. Would you do that? We pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. 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 Well, you we are going to take maybe a five-minute break. And then those, you, you don't have to stay, but those, especially of you who are considering uh, charter membership here at Emanuel Church We're going to reconvene in this room And uh, go over the Constitution For just about 45 minutes or so And if you didn't bring a copy, that's fine I have copies to pass out And, uh, and then we'll wrap up About 45 minutes of uh, meeting together Bathroom's out this way And feel free to wander around the building I think we're the only ones here now at, at this point So we'll take a brief break and then reconvene here We'll say at 6.20 We'll get back together in this room